1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Neil Littman. He's the founder and CEO at BioVerge. Neil, welcome to the
2: show. Hey, Kevin. Thanks so much. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at BioVerge is kind of selfishly fascinating to me, and I'm pretty sure it'll be very interesting to to the listener as well. But maybe before we kind of get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little
2: bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure, so I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. Uh, a, a little surprising fact about Baltimore, okay. is uh, in the, the Battle of Baltimore against the British in 1814 actually inspired the composition of America's national anthem, Star-Spangled oh. Banner. Interesting, you I know, didn't know that. T- today, yeah, today Baltimore is probably better known for The Wire, uh, yeah, one of my yeah. personal favorite. Great yeah, show. Yeah, one of my personal favorite shows, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, no, great, great place to go off.
1: Very cool. So. You went to university, what did you take and why?
2: Yeah, so you know, I went to the University of Colorado okay. and I studied molecular biology. Okay. What got and you interested just in that? Back up, yeah, I'll I'll sort of give you the story arc behind that one. Sure. So I was always a very avid reader okay. in high school. I was enthralled by books like The Hot Zone, okay. which discussed the origins uh, and incidents of viral hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola and the Marburg virus. And I thought early on uh, during my high school years I wanted to be a virus hunter and travel around the globe and track down the origin of all these really nasty viruses. Interesting. Uh, and so the – yeah, so the University of Colorado had a very, very strong molecular biology program. Um, so that's one of the reasons that attracted me to uh, to Boulder. But there were a couple other reasons. Okay. So I think w- one thing you'll get from the, the story arc of my set of experiences is I- I've often rebelled against what a lot of my peers were doing at the time. Interesting. And so for me to go to a place like the University of Colorado, having grown up in Baltimore – was pretty far outside the norm when most of my peers were going to small liberal arts colleges on the east coast. Interesting. Uh, I, I basically viewed that as an extension of high school and just was really looking to do something totally novel, have a different set of experiences, uh, and, and that's been, I think, a really key theme throughout much of my life. And so I decided to go to CU Boulder uh, and study molecular biology. I worked in a virology lab there for a number of years. Interesting. Well, uh, lo- you know, long story short, I decided that I, I didn't actually like lab research. I didn't like uh, pipetting and working in the lab, and so I decided not to pursue a PhD and and, and go off and be a virus hunter. Okay. Uh, and and ins- instead, I decided to learn some more practical business skills. Okay. And so. I graduated from from Boulder with a degree in molecular biology, okay. I had decided that I didn't want to pursue a PhD, uh, I didn't want to be a doctor for a variety of reasons, I didn't want to be a teacher, and so I was thinking, well, what can I do as a career path? And, and, and fortunately, I had the opportunity to move back to Baltimore. Uh, enrolled I- at Johns Hopkins. Okay, uh, they have a master's degree in biotechnology. Interesting. Uh, and through that through that program, I was able to take a couple business-related courses. So I gotcha. took an intellectual property course uh, related to biotech, the finance of biotechnology, and I really enjoyed being around science, uh, sure. learning about science, but not actually doing the application of science in the lab. So that's. Yeah, so that's kind of what sparked my interest in being around science and the and the business of biotech and investing in biotech, if you will. And and it's funny, you know, at, at that time in graduate school, I worked as a golf caddy uh, okay. for a couple of years. And, and and at that point, I, I I wasn't entirely sure that I wouldn't be a golf caddy for the rest of my life. Sure, uh, you know there 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 are just so many things in plus at, at that point. <laughs> um, but again, you know, I come up to graduation at the end of Hopkins, and I found myself rebelling again when most of my classmates were taking jobs in biotech labs or going on to get a PhD or, or going on to apply to medical school. Uh, I decided to move to New York and walk uh, and work on Wall Street.
1: Okay, so how did you transition into kind of you know Wall Street? Because I think you know that that's kind of an interesting transition, right?
2: It is a very interesting transition. Uh, I took a, a very circuitous route to get there. Sure. Uh, so, so, you know, none of the Wall Street banks recruited at the University of Colorado. Oh, okay. Um, at that time, yeah, at that time, and, and actually at that time in college, investment banking wasn't even a job that was on my radar screen. I didn't even know it existed, to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, but all of the ball's bracket bring, banks have recruiting programs where they recruit uh, financial analysts. And it's typically a two to three year training program that all of the big banks run. Okay. Uh, Just so happens that Deutsche Bank was looking to hire a couple analysts uh, for their healthcare group, which for me was a perfect fit. So I could leverage my science experience and knowledge base. And the bank would actually train me to do all of the financial analysis they wanted me to do. Interesting. You know, At that time, they, they were basically just looking for quote-unquote athletes that they could train and teach them how to do the finance aspect sure. of, of the business. So for me, that was a great opportunity to uh, further some of the things that I had learned at Hopkins around the business of biotech. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny looking back on it because a lot of people try to ascribe the typical narrative my time in finance and and investment banking as you know a soul-sucking endeavor uh, in an industry (laughs) right i mean yeah no fair enough right you know in in an industry where, where people really only cared about money yeah and you know while that's certainly true to some extent um you know and, and perhaps I'm just a gun for punishment, but you know I, I really <laughs> did <laughs> I really did enjoy my time, right And I learned a ton. Sure. And so what I thought was going to be a two to three year you know stint in banking turned out to be about six years because I, yeah. I actually did enjoy it. I really, you know my favorite part of of the whole experience was working very closely with management teams of biotech companies and learning about their business, learning about their business model, learning about how they raise capital and sold their story to public market investors to private market investors how they thought about different strategic alternatives I did a number of &; transactions uh, for biotech com- companies for example and so you know long story short that it, it was a great time in my life I learned a ton I lived in Manhattan you know I, I wouldn't trade that for, for anything sure. in the world and it, and it really set the stage for sort of the next phase of, of my career interesting so
1: Walk me through kind of the rest of your career up until founding
2: BioVerge. Yeah, so what I realized uh, about six years into investment banking is that it, it it wasn't what I wanted to do for the long term. Sure. And the realization I had was that I was competing in the wrong game, so to speak. Okay, what do you I, mean by I, that? I was, yeah, so what I mean by that is I was simply a hamster running uh, on the wheel, competing gotcha. in a game that others told me was important. And there's, you know, the, the, the eye jobs are sort of highly coveted and all of that. So people think that if you have that job, it's all of a sudden you're successful and you're doing the right thing and it's great, but that's not the game that I cared about. Um, and, and so I, I went through a thought experiment in my mind and, and it may sound a little morbid, but I found it actually particularly valuable. Okay. Right? When you're lying on your deathbed, you know, looking back at your life and telling your kids or grandkids about your life story, you know, would you be proud? Yeah. And, and for me to say that I spent my entire career, you know, basically shuffling money around the capital markets, wasn't that compelling. And so fair. that's I've I have had this. I've had time. the
1: same kind of conversation with myself, so I totally
2: know where you're coming from on that. <laughs> Okay, good, all right. So I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> you're not totally alone. alone in that department. Okay, <laughs> good to know. So, so it was that thought experiment that really prompted me to start looking at at other career opportunities and so
1: okay.
2: um to to get out of banking i I actually had a great opportunity and joined a uh what I can only describe as a as a really unique and wonderful place called the California Institute for regenerative Medicine, or we call it CERN for short because gotcha. it's a mouthful yeah um so i I transitioned out of banking to do business development at CERN. CERM is uh, funded with three billion dollars oh, wow. of capital, yeah, to uh, advance stem cell and regenerative medicine-related research, particularly in the state of California. Interesting. So it was a really fascinating place to work. I spent my time dealing with brilliant academic scientists at Stanford and UCSF and um university of california in san diego and and all throughout california who are doing really cutting-edge science applying stem cells and regenerative medicine therapies to solve all kinds of debilitating diseases ranging from alzheimer's and neurodegenerative diseases like parkinson's uh, heart disease to really obscure rare pediatric diseases uh, such as severe combined immunodeficiency for example i don't know if you've you're a seinfeld fan but there's actually a Seinfeld episode on uh, on the boy in the bubble. Right. The yeah. Bubble yeah. Boy yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Which which is basically that syndrome. So right. Um, you know, a long story short is, is the combination of my banking and finance experience, plus what I learned at CERM that really created the spark that eventually became the idea for Bioverse. Got you. And and, and so what I learned at CERM was that the public was really engaged in the type of work we were doing. People okay. were really interested in these regenerative therapies and science and how it could help them or their loved ones. Sure. And so SIRM was a large institution, and they had all of these processes in place to help scientists and companies bridge the so-called valley of death. And what I realized is that I could take that institutional model SIRM had created and move it to the retail space. And I could do so... Yeah, by importing a lot of the similar types of processes that SERM has used and open it up to basically the everyday consumer and do it on a much larger scale. And so that's when BioVerge was born, and that was about two and a half years ago. Okay. So
1: what exactly do you guys do at BioVerge then?
2: Yeah. So our mission at BioVerge is to connect the world to startups transforming healthcare. Okay. So we view ourselves as an impact investment platform, 100% focused on healthcare. Okay. So the, the, the idea is that you know, we allow and enable our members to make a measurable impact with their investment dollars, and we provide them with the ability to build a diversified portfolio with the potential to generate outside returns. Gotcha. So we, we have taken a highly curated approach. Okay. So any company that comes to work with us goes through a, a process. We, we call it the BioVerse method okay. where we rely on subject matter experts to help us vet the underlying science and technology. We, of course, evaluate the strength of the management team, the product market fit, uh, all, all the typical things that folks look at. But we, we, we've done so in a decision analysis framework an algorithm that we've built that is specifically tailored to assessing uh, scientifically complex technologies. Interesting. And and so, yeah, so and so companies that come to BioVerge have to pass our screening process before we will even put them on our platform and open up the investment opportunity to members and investors on our platform. And we think that's a key differentiator of our platform sure. compared to a lot of others out there.
1: Sure. So I... This is probably really dependent on a case-by-case kind of basis, but how long does it typically take? Is it kind of weeks? Is it months? Is it like a year?
2: Yeah, so, so very good question. Uh, it, it, the answer is weeks. Okay. Um but we can cut, we can customize the tam- time frame. Gotcha. So we we typically do um a couple weeks of due diligence up front. Okay. We are able to leverage third party diligence if companies happen to have that as well. Right. Uh, the most time consuming aspect is just is is reaching out to subject matter experts for their right. input. Uh, so so that can take a little time on the back end but you know, we, we've launched deals and, and completed them in uh, as little as two weeks. Oh, wow. Our, our typical, yeah, so pretty fast. But our typical time frame and our sweet spot is is about a month.
1: Yeah. That's not too long, though, really.
2: No, I think it's, as, you know, I think for, for Raising Capital, that's a pretty quick turnaround time. Well, that's and, and, that's and, and, an extremely and, quick
1: turnaround and, time, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and a point that we're particularly proud of, right? I yeah. mean, the whole idea of BioVerge is we're, we are founder-friendly. And you. we want to offer... Founders a streamlined access to capital, and so it's really important that we are highly efficient in our model. Right. So,
1: do I have to be, um, or I guess, at what stage would you invest in a company, or at least get them on your platform? Do I need to be generating revenue? Do I need to have any sales? Where, kind of in that, uh, where do I have to be in my startup?
2: Yeah. So, so it's a very good question. So, we invest at uh, I guess what I would call the pre-seed, seed, and series A stages mainly. Okay. Okay. We, we, we will go later, but okay. that's kind of our sweet spot. In terms of where you are in your, your product development cycle, uh, we go pretty early. Okay. So we often like to put money into companies that are looking to achieve a proof of concept with their product, for example. Okay. So within the healthcare space, there's a lot of different kinds of companies and a lot of different business models and right. everything from – Know digital therapeutics and and, and digital health healthcare apps that maybe are generating some revenue uh, to companies that are developing therapeutics that are that are years away from being able to develop any revenue. So for us, revenue isn't isn't a key threshold. What we want to see is that our money will help the company achieve some sort of critical value inflection point or milestone. Okay, that often could be a killer experiment, you know, quote unquote that will prove the hypothesis of whatever it is the company is trying to test. Uh, and that could be a nice catalyst to then go out and raise uh, additional dollars. Gotcha. Um, or it could be you know, the initiation of a phase one or phase two clinical trial, for example. Interesting. So our, 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 our investment thesis is really centered around this notion of the convergence of biology and technology. Gotcha. So we we really view that as our blueprint for innovation at Bioverge. So okay. I, you know I believe a lot of the most interesting things happen at at the intersection. Right. And I, you know I, I at Bioverge we fundamentally believe that we are in the age of biology. Totally. And so at, as companies are applying software and engineering principles to tackle traditional healthcare problems. You know, that's a space we're particularly interested in. Uh, and so a lot of the investments that we've made, all of the investments that we've made have, have really focused around that intersection.
1: Interesting. So do the companies have to be in California or can they kind of be anywhere in North America or, or where do you guys kind of geographically work in?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. So part of the reason we started BioWorks was to provide access okay um and so so that 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 means a couple things to us so number one i i fundamentally fundamentally don't believe that all of the best best healthcare technologies are located in the bay area or makes boston sense. for example makes sense yeah. right there, there are plenty of great companies that are tackling really hard to treat conditions that are popping up all over the country and founders are at a disadvantage if they're not located within the ecosystem of investors like the Bay Area or Boston, for example. And so for us, you know, we're particularly interested in expanding our geographic reach. You know, we're based in the Bay Area, so a right. lot of our network is in the Bay Area or the East Coast, Got you. but you know, our platform is open to countries all, uh, companies all over the country. And so Interesting. We, we view that as, as a, a real growth opportunity, not just for us, but for the companies to be able to access capital through our online platform that maybe don't have a robust ecosystem where they happen to be located.
1: Interesting. No, I I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, So if I'm an investor, how do I go about working with BioVerge to actually put some money into these companies?
2: Yeah, so right now we are focused 100% uh, on accredited investors. Okay. Uh, What what does that mean for people that don't know? Yeah, so an accredited investor means that you have made, for the previous two years, at least $200,000. Okay. And you expect to make at least that much going forward. Or you have a net worth of uh, at least $1 million. Okay. Uh, There there are a few other caveats, but it's basically targeting uh you know the sort of wealthier set of 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 americans right and the idea is that the sec believes that those people are more sophisticated investors which by the way we don't necessarily believe so uh, uh, that's where we started because that's what what other platforms have proven is a viable model makes sense that uh particularly accredited investors are comfortable investing in startups online Right? That's what AngelList does. That's what a number of other platforms yeah. does. The regulatory landscape is very clear. Um, and so that's the path that we initially followed. That makes sense. Now, that being said, as I mentioned before, part of our mission is to democratize access. Right. And we fundament- fundamentally don't believe that only accredited investors should have access and the ability to invest Agreed. in healthcare technologies that, at the end of the day, affect us all. Yeah. So, you know, we are actively exploring other ways to do that, you know, one obvious avenue is uh, going down the regulation crowdfunding path, yeah. which will allow both accredited and non-accredited investors to participate. Sure. And you know, there, there, there are other platforms, and there have been over $100 million raised in Reg CF offerings. And so you know, th- that is an avenue that we're actively exploring as well.
1: Interesting. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. So how do investors actually that are accredited get into using your platform?
2: Yep. So it's it's, it's very simple. So we go to uh, com. Okay. You log in. uh, The investor will self-verify that they are an accredited investor. Um, And then we like to get to know our investors a little bit. So we we really do believe in this idea of personalization. So we want to get to know our investor. We want to get to know their interests. Are they interested in particular disease areas? Are they interested in particular types of technologies? Uh, digital health, for example, or therapeutics, or whatever it may be. And so we, we get to know them a little bit, and then they are able to go to our dashboard, uh, and then our dashboard highlights all of the companies that uh, are actively raising capital through our platform. Interesting. Uh, as well as the companies in our portfolio that we've already invested in, okay. as well as another subset of companies that are in what we call the biovert Showcase. which are a set of companies that we like, that we think are really promising, but for whatever reason, we're not quite ready to make an investment. And so we like to showcase those companies and introduce them to our investor base, allow investors to get to know the company. And so when and if we do decide to make an investment, people will already know their story and be familiar with them. And so we found that that's actually a really critical component of what we do.
1: Interesting. No, that makes a lot of sense. So maybe walk us through some of your portfolio companies and what they do.
2: Yeah, I would be happy to do that. So, our very first investment was in a company by the name of Notable Labs, okay, which is based here in the Bay Area. Okay. They were one of the first companies, one of the first biotech companies that went through Y Combinator. Oh, interesting. Which is yeah, the big tech accelerator based in Silicon Valley here. Right. Um, you know, Notable is a really interesting story. Um, and the, the, the founder and CEO of, of Notable's uh, father was diagnosed with glioblastoma. Oh, wow. At at, at the time, uh, the founder was a currency trader at Peter Peel's hedge fund.
1: Okay, interesting.
2: And he, yeah, and, and, and so through trying to find his father different treatment options to treat uh, his his brain cancer, he right. became very disillusioned with the treatment options. Uh, because of the nature of his dad's uh, disease, he was not eligible for clinical trials. And so, long story short, uh, the founder had sort of built a, a platform to test different combinations of existing and FDA approved drugs against his patient, uh, against his father's tumor sample to see what combination of drugs might work for his, for his dad, basically. Wow. Um, and so he, he built this technology platform and, and unfortunately got up to the 99 yard line and, and his father passed away. Oh,
0: that's
2: sad. Um, so, you know, a, a very sad outcome to the story. But the technology today is now being used in clinical trials and notable labs is working with cancer patients and their oncologists. And the company is able to get a, uh, a, a, a patient sample from the oncologist they screen the patient sample against hundreds or in some cases thousands of different combinations of drugs okay. to figure out what drug or combinations of drugs works for that particular patient. So this is very much the frontier of personalized medicine.
1: No, totally. Um, that's that's and, amazing actually.
2: And so yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really compelling it's a sad story, but it's a really compelling story. It's a really novel technology that fits our investment thesis. Makes half sense. the team at Notable are software engineers.
1: Oh, interesting. Uh,
2: and, the, and the other half are cancer biologists and stem cell biologists. Interesting. And so for, from the bioverse perspective, that, that is the perfect convergence that we're looking for. Yeah. No,
1: that's, that's great.
0: Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, Successful entrepreneurs and merchandisers worldwide. Now your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com.
1: Do you maybe want to cover a few of the other uh, portfolio companies?
2: Yep, absolutely. So we made another investment in a company called Blue Mesa Health. Okay. Uh, This is a company uh, based in in New York. Okay. Uh, They are developing what we call a digital therapeutic. Okay. And so this is, for for your listeners who may not be familiar with that term, a digital therapeutic uh, is is really uh, meant to try to change behavior as opposed to a traditional therapeutic or drug that you take that is supposed to modify some type of you know, chemical process internally. A digital therapeutic is supposed to modify behavior to try to get to the root cause of, of a particular disease. And so Blue Mesa Health is tackling the diabetes market.
1: Oh, and in
2: particular, they are working with pre-diabetics to help them modify their lifestyle through the use of an app that they've built Okay. Uh, the app comes with diet recommendations, uh, recommendations for uh, exercising. There's some coaching aspects built in. Uh, when you sign up, you get a digital scale. You get, uh, you know, one of the wearables like a Fitbit to track your exercise activity. And, and the idea is that by modifying your behavior, sometimes in combination with a traditional drug, but oftentimes not, right. that you will be able to prevent yourself from becoming a full-blown diabetic. And in some cases, diabetics are able to reverse their diabetes and move back to the pre-diabetic space by changing and modifying diet and exercise and, and really underlying behavior. That's really cool. And, 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 and yes, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And to us, this hits on another key theme of ours. In the US, there is $3.4 trillion that are spent uh, in healthcare. Sure. 86%, a full 86% of those costs are spent to treat chronic diseases that are largely preventable and are the result of behavior and diet. And so companies like Blue Mesa are fundamentally trying to tackle that challenge. Uh, And so to us, again, it was sort of a beautiful mix of applying technology to solve a critical healthcare crisis. This is really a crisis in this country.
1: Yeah, totally. Um,
2: so, 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 so that's a super interesting one for us. Um, I'll just mention one or two others. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, we invested in a company called Magandel, Okay. Uh, another company based here in the Bay Area. They are basically pursuing uh, non-viral gene therapy. Okay. So if you're familiar with the concept of gene therapy, yep. um, a, a, a gene therapy really takes a, a particular gene puts it into a viral vector, and that viral vector is then inserted into cells or, or the patient, and the idea is that the, uh, the virus is able to integrate whatever gene you put into the virus into the basically the host cell, and it makes up for whatever deficit the host has in terms of uh, being able to produce a particular protein or whatever is causing their disease. So it's particularly useful for monogenic diseases, for example. Um, The disease I mentioned initially at the beginning of the episode, sickle cell, uh, not sickle cell, severe combined immunodeficiency is one such example where gene therapy is used to actually cure that that type of disease in children. Interesting. Um, what Ligandal is doing is using non-viral vectors. And so they've developed a nanotechnology platform okay. that is able to encapsulate the gene of interest into a nanoparticle. They're then able to specifically target the nanoparticle to a cell or tissue of interest. So it's, it's a highly targeted process without a lot of the uh, off-target issues and toxicity that gene therapy approaches face. And so for us, this is basically a next generation version of gene therapy yeah, that overcomes a lot of the limitations that gene therapy faces today.
1: Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Um, do you want to mention a couple more? Yeah, we, we, oh, we, we,
2: we like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, fair enough. We man. think all this stuff is fascinating. Yeah, fair enough. You know, <laughs> at, 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 at BioVerge, you know, we're, we're basically psychotically, psychotically obsessed with all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I could talk about this on and on. So, I'll just mention another, another company or two. So, sure. the second investment we made uh, was in the company by the name of Echo Labs. Okay. Uh, e- Echo Labs is based in San Diego, okay. and they've developed a really cool hybrid microscope. So, traditionally, microscopes come in one of two configurations either um, upright, or horizontal, or vertical, okay. depending if the researcher is viewing a, a slide or a petri dish. Okay. What Echo has done is they've combined those two types of microscopes into one hybrid microscope that can easily flip between the horizontal and inverted configuration. They've been able to produce the microscope at a fraction of the price that it would cost labs to have to buy two of those microscopes. So that's, that's a nice story Very in cool. and of itself. Sure. However, we were really attracted to it because I actually uh, met the founder at a conference. I was walking by their, their, their booth, and they had this beautiful microscope with an iPad tablet integrated that replaced the eyepiece. And so it made for a really beautiful viewing experience. And um, so that really that captured my intention. And so it makes it much easier for scientists to collaborate. They have some software wrapped around the platform as well. So it, it, it really makes for a much more user-friendly viewing experience for for scientific researchers. And, and that company is, is is generating revenue, and, and uh-huh. they're basically off to the races, and, and sure. they're scaling globally and, and, and up to some really great things. So uh, that, that was another pretty exciting investment of ours. Um, I'll just mention uh, our, our final investment. Sure. Actually, we have, we have, we have two more. One was uh, CrowdMed. Okay. Uh, this was our third investment. And what CrowdMed is doing is – they're harnessing the power of the global scientific and medical community to help solve hard to treat and hard to diagnose medical cases okay so for example there are i forget the exact statistic but it's like one in one in 4 families in the US have a family member that is suffering from an undiagnosed medical condition and and that okay. that family member is bouncing around between a general practitioner Practitioner, or different specialist to try to come up with a diagnosis of what ailment, what ailment they're facing, and they spend a lot of money and waste a lot of time, and oftentimes are left without a correct diagnosis. Sure. So what CrowdMed is doing is they they're basically crowdsourcing medical diagnosis from a team of medical, what they call medical detectives. And The idea is that by instead of relying on an individual doctor like we typically do today why not pull the brain power of the collective medical community yeah, and see if we can get to a more accurate diagnosis? And 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 they've been around for a couple of years. They have some pretty amazing results. I think they have, I don't know the latest stats, but last I saw they were at about, I think a 73, wow. um, uh, 73 correct diagnosis rate for company or for patients that uh, work with them on their platform. Um, and they've done, I think over 1600 cases to date. So again, you know, that's great. uh, Yeah. So yeah, thank you. So, you know, following the theme of applying, you know, technology and software to solve, you know, medical and healthcare related problems. Um, and then the final company I'll mention was a deal that we recently completed for a company called Occam's razor. Okay. Occam's razor is another Bay area company. Uh, they are using, machine learning and natural language processing to more efficiently discover and develop drugs for neurodegenerative diseases. Okay, They are starting with uh, Parkinson's and they sure. have a relationship with the Michael J. Fox Foundation, for example, and right. the Parkinson's Institute, for example. Um, their technology platform can be applied. Ah, uh, beyond Parkinson's to the diseases like Alzheimer's oh, and, and dementia and other neurodegenerative diseases. So that's that's a particularly interesting one uh, as well. Uh, the, the the It's a, it's led by a female founder who who is both courageous and brilliant. Um, she great. has a PhD in regenerative medicine out oh, of Stanford. Um, so so they're doing some really cool things as well.
1: Very cool. So I I'm curious because you've been in the space for for a while now, and you guys have been you've probably seen a ton of different companies. What advice would you give people that are maybe looking for investment that you kind of see all the time that you're like, ooh, you should probably do more of this or I wanna know more about this? Or things that, you're, that you'd are that say, oh, stop doing that because it's just not working for you?
2: Yeah, so we, we look for a couple things from okay. where we're investing. Um, and so the, the first thing that we look for is, is we want to we want to invest in a founder that is basically psychotically psychotically obsessed with what they're doing. Makes sense, right? And and why we look for that is because we believe that passion is often the best predictor of success. Sure. And, and so and, and so you know I'll just I'll I'll distill that down a little bit more. But you know in, in our experience, you know people who are passionate. Tend to work harder and invest more time in achieving their goals. Whatever goal, because it's goal not really it working, right? That's right. Yeah, because as, as you probably know, you care about it, right? Yeah. It's Like with this podcast, totally. you know, you you care about getting you know quality guests and having a great experience for your listeners, and so you know, even if you're spending a lot of time editing and doing those things, it's not yeah. really work because you're yeah. enjoying it and you're learning. So, I, you know, that's absolutely true. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, passionate people tend to have an informational edge over others who are not as passionate. Yeah. because Obviously, they're spending more time reading and just entrenched in the day-to-day. And, you know, for, for those reasons, I, I don't believe that investing is necessarily a zero-sum game. But, you know, let's just assume that you're playing a zero-sum game with okay. someone who's passionate and you're not passionate. Right? The odds are um, – Right, your odds of being successful are going to drop substantially if you're going yeah. up against someone who's substantially more passionate than you are. So yeah. you know, so, so so that's one thing that we look for. Um, the the other the other component that we look for is this idea of perseverance. Okay. And so to to us, passion plus perseverance equals equals grit. Yeah. Um, and so we we want to see that you know not only is the founder passionate, but they have the fortitude to overcome. You know operating in the face of uncertainty right sure. and so any startup founder knows that you inherently operate in the face of uncertainty and you know it, it, it it's hard to know necessarily what's next as you're developing and growing your business so you need to have the mental fortitude and wherewithal to overcome hardships and challenges and you know everything that's going to be thrown your your way because at the end of the day you know i think as long as you're running towards some goal even if you don't necessarily know what that goal is right just don't stop and keep moving forward you know that determination that determination coupled with passion i think will ultimately lead to good outcomes and so I'll just give you an example. A couple of the companies we've invested in, notable labs is a great example, but there are there are a couple others that I mentioned, where the founders started the company because they were trying to to help a loved one who was suffering from some disease. Right. Those people are inherently really passionate about what they're doing, and so they're just not going to quit. yeah and so f- for us that that's that's super important. The other thing that that I look for uh, in founders is uh, 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 basically self-awareness, okay and and so we have a saying at Bioverge um, that we actually got from from I cribbed it from Josh Wolf, who's a VC at Lux Capital. But okay. um, failure comes from a failure to imagine failure. Interesting. And okay. To, to us, that's super important, right? So we at Bioverge are constantly evaluating all the ways in which we may fail. This sure. is literally one of the most important things that we do. And so we want to avoid the big mistakes. So let, let, let's, let's flip the age-old adage. Instead of trying to consisten- consistently make brilliant decisions and do what you think is really smart, try to consistently not be stupid. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and so it, it, it's sort of an old trick from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett and okay. you know, some of the best value investors out there. And so their, their whole thesis is if they can avoid making their big, costly, stupid mistakes – that will allow them to be that much incrementally better than everyone else who are, are making those mistakes. And so for us, you know, it's really important to constantly evaluate all the ways you may fail. And, you know, by the way, when you do make that list, you better go and tackle the hardest thing first. Okay, and, makes sense. And, and, and I'll, give you a, I'll give you a great example. Sure. And so there, there, there's a really um, fascinating story from uh, Astro Teller, who is – I forget his title exactly, but he's basically the man in charge at Google X, which is now I think just called X. So he likes to recount uh, an allegorical tale of a firm that has to get a monkey to stand on top of a 10-foot pedestal (laughs) and recite passages from Shakespeare. (laughs) right? And so, and so you, it's funny, right? But you, you ask, you ask a founder, you know, where would you begin? How, How do you even begin tackling that? And, you know, I think most people would probably opt to show off early progress to their boss or their investor. And so a majority of people would probably start with the pedestal. However, that's actually the worst possible choice sure right and so according to Astro teller and and we fundamentally believe in this you, know, you can always build a pedestal that's easy all the risk and all the learning comes from the extremely hard work of first training the monkey to recite yeah to recite totally. Shakespeare so that's where you start and, and so and so that's what I mean by you got to tackle the hard things first and so I'll just I'll give you another example it's it's an investment philosophy we have at, at Bioverse and and we view Uh, investing is is basically subject to the first law of thermodynamics, right? And that energy is neither created nor destroyed. It simply transfers form. Sure. Right. The same can be said of risk and value. The more risk you kill, the more value you create. Interesting. Right? And so that's why you want to tackle the hardest things first because you're killing more risk and thus inherently creating more value. And so, you know, we we want to look for founders who aren't afraid to tackle those hard challenges to de-risk whatever it is their technology is, because those are the things that are going to create the most value for not only them and their constituents, but, you know, us as investors.
1: No, that makes a a lot of sense. I I think that's really good advice. But you mentioned something early on that. I've always found fascinating. You mentioned about being a rebel throughout your whole life, for for lack of a better term for it. And I think, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's easier to be a rebel inside the system than trying to change the system. And I'm not saying people shouldn't try to change the system because that's a huge task and it's honorable and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think in some ways it's a lot more work and it's a longer game plan, but I I think in a lot of cases, being a rebel inside of some of these big institutions or organizations or industries is a little bit alienating, but also can be really rewarding. What's your thoughts and advice around being a rebel inside of industry that's been around forever?
2: Yeah, I think that's a a very astute point. And I think there are uh, pros and cons to each approach. Right sure. if if you look at companies like Airbnb for example sure. or Uber like yeah. they are rebels outside of their industries they yeah. are fundamentally disrupting their industries and do not play nicely with the industries they're disrupting right, right? and so obviously those companies are doing fantastic and you know they're great stories sure. yeah and, and and that is certainly one approach um, that's probably, the, you know, that's probably the harder approach. Yeah. Um, t- t- to your point, there are ways to be a rebel inside of your industry to try to disrupt it from the inside out. Um, and so I think there are there are other companies. I think Spotify is probably a good example. Yeah, of that. very much so. Right. Spotify actually worked very hard to play nicely with the music industry yeah. and to get them on board. Uh, to share their music through, you know, the subscription model. And and of course, they started at the time of Napster and all these piracy issues. And at that time, you know, the music industry was fundamentally opposed to any of these online streaming services. But, you know, Spotify, I think, was very tenacious about, you know, working with the music music industry. And so in that case, they were sort of disrupting from the inside out, so to speak. And so I think there's a lot of value to be had from disrupting from the inside out. Um because you gain the not only the experience of working in the industry you're trying to disrupt, which I think is is you know hugely valuable, but I think that almost the more important thing is it provides you with uh, a level of empathy to and the viewpoint of those you're trying to disrupt. right? For, yeah. From my perspective, the 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 better able you you are to put yourself in the shoes of your competition and the way they view the world, the more successful you will be in trying to disrupt their worldview.
1: Yeah, and I think the only reason I I wanted to mention it too is I think more people have the option to be kind of a rebel inside of the industry that they work in than trying to change the entire industry. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to change an entire industry, but I think it's more achievable to be a rebel inside an industry than to change it. Is that kind of fair to say? In your experience,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in, I think in many ways it's probably a lower risk approach. Sure, yeah, right. So I, I think so. I think there's a level of attractiveness, attractiveness there. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think there's a lot of, a lot that you can learn from being within the industry. Yeah. And I think the more knowledge you have, right, the more ability you'll have to actually disrupt something. Sure. It's not to say that you can't come in from the outside and, and totally disrupt it. And we've seen, you know, I, I mentioned a number of those examples, yeah. so it's possible. I think it's just probably harder. Sure.
1: Well, and I also think working in the industry for a few years, even can give you ideas to actually leave that company and build your startup or maybe even work at a company that invests in your idea and your startup to make their business better right so it could play in in kind of both ways where i think a lot of people sometimes just figure well i don't like how this is happening i'm going to leave and do my own thing but you might be able to actually convince your boss or management or something to actually allow you to work on something that could make their business better internally? Not all the time, but sometimes. In my, my experience anyway.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think there's, there's a lot of value to be gained and a lot of learnings from working inside the industry sure. uh, and working for bigger companies in particular, right? I, I, I've learned a tremendous amount over my career for working with much larger organizations. And I took those learnings and applied it to, to my startup right. and, and what we're doing at Bioverge. But I, I couldn't – I wouldn't be where I was I am today without everything I learned across my career and working at much larger institutions. So sure. there's a tremendous amount of value there. And I think particularly for, for you know, young people who are just starting out their career, you know, obviously the, the sort of the lore of, of the startup ecosystem is, is, is very sexy. Right and and you know we all hear about the the amazing outcomes and you know twenty three year olds making a billion dollars but don't ignore the baseline right those 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 are the outliers you you have to remember that ninety plus percent of startups fail yeah and why do you think you're going to be that much more successful than the baseline you can't forget the baseline statistics and so you know my point of view and I think the point you're making is if you can learn at larger institutions and. You know, t- take some knowledge out of there and apply it to a startup in the future. You know, you you, you are incrementally increases increasing your probability of success, right? Agreed. So I I I'm I'm a big believer in in reading. I, you know, I love reading and sure. and um, you know one of the main reasons I like reading is because I like learning from the success and failures of others. Yeah, it's the fastest way to get smarter without having to go through a lot of pain yourself. So. You know, I, I think the same can be said for working with other larger organizations as well.
1: No, I, I agree. It's it's interesting because and, and just to elaborate on the reading point, I, I think so many people think that trying to chase a big company in an or in an industry is impossible. And I'm right now I'm reading the the Phil Knight shoe dog book, the, the Nike Founder oh, book. My favorite. And like my favorite book. I'm about halfway through and i don't want to talk about a ton of it because i think people should read it but there's a point in there where he talks about how adidas had such a huge head start and he never thought attaining that level of success was even possible and look where nike is now right and that's exactly right he had the same doubts and fears and no idea how to get there but he clearly just figured it out
2: yeah and, and and I think that is exactly the process that every successful entrepreneur goes through sure. is exactly what you just said. They just figure it out. There, there is no playbook. There is no rule book that you follow. There's no one telling you what you should do like there is in a larger organization. And so you you just figure it out. And, and that that's, and, and, and that's actually what I was referencing early on about, you know, the idea of just, just keep running, right? Yeah. Just keep moving forward. You don't necessarily have to know exactly what that end goal is. Just, you know, whatever comes, just don't stop. And the passion, right? And right? And, I, and, and and the passion. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, because you mentioned that earlier about traits that you look for in a founder is basically that point exactly, right? Obviously, he was in shoes, but it's the same concept.
2: Same idea. It doesn't matter what you're yeah. selling or, or what you're building, right? You can be passionate about about anything and everything. Um, and so, but, but there, is, there is an important nuance that I want to distinguish. Okay. Because you sure. hear a lot of commencement speeches that talk about people, you know, follow your passion and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then, you know, of course, one of the hardest things I think for, you know, young people and entrepreneurs is to figure out what their passion is. Sure. Right? That, that's, that can be challenging. Um, and so for, for me, I look at people who have sort of a, a passion. But it's wrapped up in this idea of perseverance and grit. So for me, if you're passionate about something, it means you've dedicated a substantial amount of time to it. You can't be passionate about something for like a month or two, right? You you have to have dedicated years of your life to this thing to be truly passionate about it, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um,
0: And and
2: so, yeah. So so for me, that's important. It doesn't mean that something you're kind of obsessed with for a month or two can't blossom into a longer term, you know, passion. But uh, I, I think that is a critical nuance.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. But we're coming to the end of the show. So do you maybe want to close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and BioVerge?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to our website, uh, www.bioverge.com, you will be able to register and take a look at our portfolio. Uh, I am, of course, on LinkedIn uh, under Neil Littman. Uh, Feel free to connect with me. I'm always looking to connect with uh, interesting and 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 exciting entrepreneurs um and uh don't be shy to to reach out
1: perfect neil well i really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of
2: your day man thanks kevin this was wonderful have a great day as well thank you okay bye,
0: bye. thanks for listening please visit our website at building the future to join the free community sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.